um, the fear of the Lord. We're gonna on this topic just we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna um, take up the topic of the design of the church and, and really talk about um, the composite unity in God and the corporate unity in the church and try to really lay that and all the implications of that. But um, first, we wanted um, um, to look at this fear of the Lord because it is the beginning of knowledge. And so, um, let's pray, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this moment. We just pray that you settle our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and that we would um, speak as an oracle of God, not just our own thoughts and ideas, but that, Lord, you help us to bring truth and knowledge and understanding into the hearts, Lord, that you, you said, Lord, that the priest um, could feed people with knowledge and we pray that you would enable us to do that and so help us today Lord to just listen and hear what the what you're saying and to really help us to to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and so help me help us all we pray in Jesus name amen so how can we begin to understand the design of the church right how can we begin to you know we we, we read from Proverbs 1 7 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is something that, um, um, you know, is the starting point of all knowledge. And, you know, and, and so it's something I want to encourage you all um, to, to really meditate on that, that the fear, it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. And so, so we be laying, putting that out there, right, the beginning of knowledge, um, so then we, we asked two questions, of which, of which we completed one last week. So we're just going to review it. What is the fear of the Lord? So what is the fear of the Lord? Um, so, and then uh, we're going to take up uh, why. Second question we will be taking up is why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge? So that means that if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you don't know anything. Right? That's clearly the implication. Right? So the world is driven. Think about this entirely by people that don't know anything, right? The whole world is driven by, that's hard to conceive in our mind. Thinking we're like, man, the world's not so bad, right? But the reality is, the reality is that unless you know the Lord, you don't know nothing. I don't care how, how high is your SAT score. I don't care how, how high is your IQ, right? So we just got to... Um, Fear of the Lord is the beginning. So, and so we began to ask the question, what is the fear of the Lord? So we're going to go through these quickly. Um, first of all, the fear of the Lord means that you've had an experience with God. You, you cannot have the fear of the Lord if you've never experienced God. Because that, that would be impossible. So how can you fear something you, never, you don't know? Right? That's, that's satanic. The devil puts that kind of fear on us. He makes us fear things that don't exist, right? Like the monster underneath the bed. <laughs> mom, turn on the light. Mom, turn on the light. <laughs> right? But it, there's nothing there. That's Satan's fear. Satan always puts us, wants us to fear what is not true. That's not God's fear. The fear of the Lord is based on real experience and encounter with God. And so we see that in Exodus 20, 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the 
right? They experienced this phenomenon. They saw thunder. They saw flashes of lightning, a sound of a trumpet, and a mountain smoking. They, that was real phenomena, real. They, they really sensed it. They experienced it. Secondly, the fear of the Lord involves an emotional response to that phenomenon of the presence of God. Right? Uh, when the presence of God is manifested, you don't remain the same. There is an emotional response. And the Bible says that the people, when they saw that phenomenon in Exodus 20, 18, the people were afraid. Right? They, they were afraid. It was too much for them. It was greater than them. Right? Uh, their fear was based on, right, uh, the, this phenomenon of the presence of God, and they felt afraid. It's okay to be afraid. God is big, and I'm not. So, thirdly, uh, there was a physical response. Uh, the people experienced not only an emotional response, but when they, inside, when they became afraid, uh, the Bible says that they also trembled. That they trembled. Right? They trembled. There was a physical response to the presence of God. And we saw how men of God, men, men throughout the ages, they trembled. I mean, even Moses says, and Moses said, I I, I tremble with exceeding fear, right? He trembled, right? And then last week, we took on the final one, uh, the fear of the Lord involves a behavioral response. It's not just an emotional response. It's not just a bodily response, but it changes your behavior. The fear of the Lord changes you. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says that when all this stuff happened, the people, right? It says, trembled and they stood far off. They, they pushed themselves back. They, 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 they stood afar off. They, right? Um, so, so, and this word far off meant distance. They became distant from the phenomenon. They became like, okay, let's take a step back. Right? Let's take a step back. Psalm 119 uses the same word. Um, this, this, this word expresses a very distant place. Salvation is far from the wicked. It's the same word. They stood far. The idea is like they, they made it a line of demarcation. And the presence of God does that. It, 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 it just it, it, it puts a line of demarcation, especially when it comes um, to the presence of God and who we are. And so the people became suddenly aware of that God, look at, look at um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. Although it, it, you saw this phenomenon, thunder and lightning and mountain shaking, and look how the people interpreted that phenomenon. The way they saw it, the way they interpreted it, and they interpreted it rightly, by the way, is do not let God, God was speaking to them. They they interpreted and they saw, right? They understood why because the Bible said that God actually came down to teach them. So when they saw the phenomenon of the mountains shaking and the thunder and the lightning, they didn't say, wow, that's interesting. Is it about to rain? <laughs> they didn't say that. They said, God is speaking. Right? The Bible has to describes us this phenomenon in a way that we can understand because we can understand the phenomenon of thunder. But what was happening there was more than just thunder. It was the, the voice of God. And not only was that speaking to them, that, 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 that they were not just hearing 
divine ramble. They heard God speak to what? To them. Speak to them. <laughs> that presence of God is not indifferent to you. The presence of God comes and it speaks. <laughs> right? That word comes and, it, 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 and you know God is speaking to moi. Right? It's not like, wow, what a wonderful, you know, what a wonderful event this is with the, you know, the presence of the Lord. And I, fi I, find, I find it so funny. You find this, uh, oh, the spirit of God is moving. And then you see someone there with the phone. <laughs> I, I doubt that would happen. I don't think anybody on that day, if they had a phone, would be like, oh, selfie time, selfie time. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> right? So when we see this stuff, we'll be like, no, 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 no. Wait, I know when Godzilla stops. I wait, when Godzilla goes through the towel, I know he leaves his marks. <laughs> right? So, you know, they felt God speaking to them. Now, when God's speaking to you, you better believe it. It seizes you all. <laughs> you don't be like, well, let me. No, it's like you're arrested by his voice. They, they knew what was going on, and they could not run. All they could do is plead. What a glorious moment that was. Guess what? That was the first Sunday school class for the, for the Hebrews. <laughs> that was 101. <laughs> this is not like 14 years later after. No, this is the first class. The first class of the when the Jewish people came out of Egypt, the first class, this is it, thunder, mountains shaking. How different we are today, right? I'll never forget, there was a guy um, I used to listen to a lot, um, and he experienced a lot of revivals in Europe. And I'll never forget something that he said. He, he said, and, and at this time, God was really moving. People would get saved by the bucket load. You know? And he said, oh, yeah, we, we would go to a town, preach the gospel, Many would get saved, and all these young people would come. And then the next day, Monday, they, or whatever, the next day they would come and fill the church. And the first book that they taught was the book of Leviticus. I was like, what? The book of Leviticus? How about John 3.16? For God so loved the world. Like, I was like, like, I'm like Leviticus. I was like, I was so struck by that. I was are you kidding? But he, he said that. We're going to teach them how to worship. He's a holy God. At, and it, and it, to me, I'm like, it was like, that makes sense. Instructing them that he's holy. And he said that, guess what? After a few days, <laughs> the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> you know, he said some would fall away. They just could not. Grapple. I think there's a lot of a lot of um, wisdom in that. But not only did they hear God speak, but they 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 felt threat to themselves. Let's let's we die. But you know, why was it necessary that the fear of God be before them? Why did God? Why was this the first class, the first new believers class in the wilderness? Why was this the first new believers class? 
out of all the classes, look, you just tell them how much you love them and how much how special you are. You know, and he did just tell that. He doesn't really care. But this is the you know really the first thing, and he and he tells us in Exodus twenty twenty, he says, Moses said to the people, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, so that you may not sin." So God brings the people out of Egypt, and God, his first concern is, I don't want them to sin. Now you might say, to, you know, why, ha- why does God have that concern? And I say, you have, we have to consider two things. You know, number one, he brought the people out of, out of Egypt for what purpose? To have a love affair with them. To love them. To, in, to build a relationship with him, right? He, he tells the people, let my people go so that they may what? Finish the sentence. They might worship me in the desert. The whole goal of it is worship. The whole goal was to adore me. The whole goal of the exodus was so that God could have his people. He could enjoy them. He loves his people, right? Deuteronomy 7, 7, 8, right? It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. So you have to understand that that day with the thunder and the lightning, what's God, God is being motivated by love. He does not want to lose them. Right? He's guarding their relationship. And why is that? Because God is an emotional being. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we think of God like just like, like this God that's just apathetic, just apathy, and he just does what he, and he has no feelings. And there are people that have a relationship like that with God, and, and it's reflected. They have no feelings towards God, and as far as they know, they have, God has no feelings towards them. We're, have, we're just here to obey. Just don't ask any questions, just obey. Right? Let's be honest, right? Many people live like that. But the truth of the matter is that God is not like that. God is an emotional being. God loves deeply. God sings. God dances. God, God is just a, a ball of delight. <laughs> it's like, right? So he, he loves, you know, you know, Jeremiah 31, 20. Is he for my dear son? Is he my darling child? Doesn't it sound to me like a God who's indifferent? This is a God that speaks with terms of endearment. Right? For as often I speak against him, I do remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. My heart yearns. God yearns for us. His heart is burning for you and for me. You may not pay attention to him, but his heart burns for you. His heart desires you. And it's amazing how many people just walk by God. When was the last time you had a date with God? <laughs> date with God. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, when was the last time you, you, you brought him flowers? When was the last time you kissed his feet? Right? He, he, He's a lover, like we were saying on Thursday night. He loves. And you you have to remember what happened with Adam when he was in the Garden of Eden, which Eden means the Garden of Delight. And his relationship with Adam was broken. Do you think that God suffered? Do you think that God was broken? Yeah. Yes, he has a plan. Yes, he's sovereign. But yes, but don't, don't make, don't then devoid God of just who he is. 
We, there are things about God that is just bad. He's just all of the above. He's all of the above. He's sovereign, and he's, and he's, he's, he's weeping over his people. <laughs> I was like, go figure that out. <laughs> but he's a God that's sovereign. He gets, he's in total control of every molecule. And yet he feels for the conditions, the current conditions. He loves deeply. And he says in Isaiah, you know, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Do you, do you hear sin, you know, in Exodus 20, so that you may not sin. In other words, God wants, he wants to preserve the fellowship with his people. Amen? And so, but when the people stood afar off, it actually worked. It worked. When Moses had warned the people in Exodus 19, 21, he told the people, don't, you know, don't break through the Lord to look. He went down and warned them, and I'm sure at the beginning they were like, nah, whatever, whatever, you know, Moses, Moses said about warning, Moses said about, you know, but, you know, whatever. You know, he says things that sometimes doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the way they started today. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Moses said not to get too close. Ah, ah, I'll do what I want. <laughs> you ever have people like that? <laughs> They don't care, right? But when the mountain started shaking and when the thunder started going, those same people are like, what? <laughs> back. Everybody, back up. Back up. <laughs> back up. That's what the spirit of God does. Amen? You back up. You know your place. You know he's God. I'm not. You, you, you give him his rightful place. Amen? But today I'm going to now start to um, look at a different kind of question. Let's go to Proverbs 1-7 again. You know, we, we, we've been defining the fear of the Lord, and um, let me just give you a definition that I, you know, I think, you know, it, I don't think it's perfect, I don't think it's, but it's the fear of the Lord is a profound and overwhelming sense of a fear-filled awe and wonder at the greatness and power of God. Let me say it again. The fear of the Lord is a profound and overwhelming sense of a fear-filled awe and wonder of the greatness and power of God. So just keep that in mind. That, you know, it's not a perfect definition, but I, but I do want to bring, um, you know, Here's a picture. Uh, here's a picture. I think the Lord helped me share. You're, you're, you're in the ocean. You're scuba diving. And you're like having so many, so much fun. You've seen the little fish. <laughs> have, you ever been, have you ever been snorkeling? It's, it's actually, I did, I've done it one time. It's, it's, a, it's such an incredible experience to see the marine life in the life of the Caribbean. It's just like unbelievable. I, I was just like astonished. This is absolutely you know, I, I've, never, I've never seen marine life with the sun and the clarity of color. The color is unbelievable color. So you're, you're like, you know, I, I wasn't in deep waters, trust me. <laughs> you know, only 14,000 feet, but, you know, <coughs> but uh, <laughs> not deep, but, but, but enough to, like, see. 
And um, but you know, imagine you're there, you're, and it wasn't. It was more of a snorkeling thing. But imagine, imagine you're scuba diving. Beautiful. But suddenly, you know, you see, and through your goggles, you know, you see like a little cloud, you know, little dark spot. And then it, it gets bigger. And then it gets bigger. What will you start doing? You, you, um, <laughs> hyperventing? <laughs> Um, but you're you're too far gone. You're, you're now, you find out that this is a big orca whale, and you're in the water. What do you do? Trust me, you will do what? <laughs> right, right. Uh, who, who will be like? <laughs> nope. You'd be like, back up, back up, back up, back up. <laughs> and this magnificent beast, Jesus, my knees don't it's Number one, you are in his place. You're not in the land, the grass. You are in the water. That's, that's his domain. <laughs> and you know it, and he knows it. And this magnificent monstrous beast passes right by you. You're like this. That's the sea of the world. When you're done with that experience, It will be a beautiful experience. You're like, I was terrified. Right? You see this beast that, you, you know, you, you can't really fully grasp. He's in his own. He's not messing around. He's not trying to kill their bodies. But, but just his mere presence, his mere size, I accept that, right? <laughs> like just passing by you. You are, you are just floating. You, you don't have no, nowhere to stand. You can't run. <laughs> You're just floating. And this thing passes by, and you see the beauty of this beast. You're terrified, but at the same time, is beautiful is you get to really see how great this thing is because it has undeniable so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and we want to ask the question why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge Why is that? Why has to be that way? Why can't the fear of the Lord be, why can't the beginning of knowledge be something else? 
like starting hard. Starting hard is the beginning of knowledge, right? No. Why the fear of the Lord? Is the beginning of knowledge. That's kind of like, oh, why? That's it. You know, what, what does one have to do with the other? Why is a profound and overwhelming sense of a fear-filled awe and wonder of the greatness and power of God the beginning of knowledge? Why, why is that the beginning of knowledge? Why is this greatness of God the beginning of knowledge? I love this part. I really, it's just, I've meditated on this so many, and, and it's just like, it's just like, it makes so much sense. But we want to try to get into that. But um, unfortunately, you know, like with me, you have to ask the question. What did God have in mind when he inspired the writer to, to write the word knowledge? What, what is knowledge? Right? Does that raise the question? Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What is knowledge? What does God have in mind? Does God have in mind what Merriam-Webster Dictionary says about knowledge? So according to the Webster Dictionary, I looked it up. Knowledge is the fact or condition of knowing something with familiarity gained through experience or association. Is that what God means? What do you think? How about another, uh, according to the Merriam-Webster, knowledge is acquaintance with or understanding of a science, art, or technique. Is that what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of acquaintance with or understanding of a science. Is that what that means? Why not? Don't be so um, arrogant, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how about this? Um, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, knowledge is the range of one's information or understanding. All right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of uh, the range of one's information or understanding. Is that what it means? You know, these, are, these are valid questions, right? We have to, we have to define this somewhere. I'll, I'll go to Merriam-Webster. According to Merriam-Webster, Knowledge is um, the fact or condition of having information of, uh, or of being learned or the body of truth. Is that, what, is that what knowledge is? Is knowledge the body of truth? Just the body, you know, just a, that's a question we have to ask. Did God have that idea when he inspired um, Proverbs? Now, how do we, so how do we, how do we solve that problem? How do we know? What is knowledge? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So here, um, young believers in the Lord, uh, these are questions you should be asking when you go to Bible study. Don't ever assume that you know. You have to be diligent as a student to ask questions and say, what does this mean, Lord? Um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you find out what knowledge, what knowledge means? What, what's the meaning of knowledge? How do you know that? Where do you go? Not to Merriam-Webster. Merriam-Webster Dictionary is helpful to give you a general idea. But now you have to say, okay, Lord, what is knowledge? Oh, I know where I go. I go to the Bible. How does God use knowledge in other passages of Scripture? 
So if it says, you shall have knowledge and a toothpaste, okay, and Abraham took knowledge and he brushed his teeth, um, and Daniel took knowledge and, um, and he had Colgate toothpaste. So now you know what? That knowledge has to do with what? <laughs> Something with toothpaste. <laughs> it's not complicated, right? It really is not complicated. You know, it, it just not, it's not. You just go to the Bible, and the Bible is going to establish relationship with words. So then you say, ah, forget about Merriam-Webster. Forget about that. You say, ah, ah. So this word is used in this setting. Ah, very important. Now, and that word is used. So let's go to other places where the word is used. Ah, it's used in that setting. And then you begin to understand what God has in mind because God's word is perfect. God's word is consistent. God is not confusing. His word explains himself. Amen? So that's what makes Bible study so fun. Amen? I want to encourage you. Do Bible study. Ron, I was talking about learn how to do Bible study. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the most fun thing I can do is Bible study. It's so much fun because it's like, number one, you're, 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 it's God's word. Number two, there's, in, there's wisdom that is not of this world. There's insights into the things of God through the scriptures. And it's amazing how many people can go weeks and not read their Bible. I'm like, are you kidding? You should not go a day without reading your Bible. Have some thought of the word of God inside of you. Amen? So, so, yeah, so, so this is, you know, you go to the Bible. You say, Lord, what do you mean by knowledge? Whatever God means, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. Does that make sense? Whatever that is, whatever, the, whatever we discover in the Bible, what is knowledge, now we can say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that kind of knowledge. Right? So now we have a place to to stand, all right, and um, so we affirm that scripture must interpret scripture. Okay, I'm going to start, but I'm obviously not going to finish it before I get to that. But we'll, 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 well okay, I, I got a good audience that is patient, you know. <laughs> so what is, what is, what was that? Let us consider the question, what is the biblical meaning of knowledge? All right, so here's, I had to do that exercise, and so here's some of the, some of the fruit of that exercise. Of what is knowledge? Well, let me give you at least two, two things that we can do. One, I, there, I call them seven, seven characteristics of what is knowledge, or seven qualities or characteristics of biblical knowledge. First of all, Biblical knowledge is personal. Personal. Right there destroys worldly knowledge in many ways because worldly knowledge is not personal. It's sometimes very impersonal. But biblical knowledge is personal. What, what do we mean by um? Look at, look at Psalm 51.3. For I know. <laughs> I know my transgressions. Deeply personal. 
He doesn't say, I've been informed of my transgression. <laughs> I read a report of my transgression. Someone gave me a list of my, no, no, I, I know my transgression. True biblical knowledge is, is, is intensely personal. This is the way God, this is the way, this is the way God is, right? So it's just, you know, by personal, obviously we can have different meanings what that means, but generally speaking, it refers to something that relates to you, an individual, something that's specific to you. It is that the individual himself participates in this possession of knowledge in a personal way. It's very personal, you know? And these are, these are ca characteristics that, that we, when we go to the word of God, all of these characteristics are going to be at work when you go to the Bible. And that's why a lot of people don't get nowhere with God. Why they don't get nowhere with God? Because they read the Bible and they, it's not personal enough. God confronts us, speaks to us, right? And uh, people are uncomfortable with that. It's personal. God is a God of person. He, he, he's very personal with us. There's no such thing as objective knowledge. All truth is objective, but knowledge itself is something that exists in a person. <laughs> you possess knowledge. Knowledge is not like out there. In the, in, <laughs> knowledge can only enter, right? Can only be something that is, is found in the heart. Knowledge is simply the revelation of, the, of an objective truth. So truth, you know, people say truth is relative uh, and subjective. No, truth is objective. All truth is objective. Forget about you. Truth exists whether you exist or not. It doesn't care about your feelings. <laughs> All that. <laughs> so, so just, you know, don't buy, the, don't buy the garbage from this world. You know, the truth stands, and it does not need your, your help, not one bit. And that truth will... Well, we, we, that truth will either crush us, or how did Jesus say, blessed is he who falls upon this stone, he'll be broken. If not, you'll be crushed. <laughs> either way, you're going to be broken. But, but knowledge, the understanding of that truth, is, is something that, that can only possess in your heart, something that God reveals, explains, interprets, Right? can be only realized in the heart and mind of an individual. All right, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 8, 7, we find that not everyone, you know, not all possess this knowledge. Not all. You know, there are going to be things that you don't understand that you, that in a personal way. That's fine. You know, one of the things that you're going to find out is that you grow, that your spiritual growth is a construct of knowledge. You grow, as you grow in knowledge, you grow spiritually, right? I mean, so, so something that, so growing in knowledge, and that's why I can understand why people put away the Bible, because you, they're not going to grow. Because not, you don't grow by osmosis. You don't grow by, you grow by the word of God. You grow by the knowledge, the increase of the knowledge of God, right? That's the only way to grow spiritually. We can't grow just by happy thoughts. Happy, th Lord, praise the Lord. I think I grew an inch. 
Hallelujah. I think I grew another inch. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I wish, I wish it was, you know. Imagine that. After a Sunday, I'd be like 10 feet tall because I've just praised God. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. And I wish it did. It, it, it's, it's the word of God. It's growing in knowledge. You grow. Your growth corresponds to your knowledge. And um, so biblical knowledge is intensely personal. You have to know for yourself. Period. Too many people rely on other people's knowledge to create a false sense as if I have the knowledge because I've been taught. Very dangerous. You cannot, you cannot have other people's knowledge. You can acquire the information. That information can be in your, in your mind, but that has nothing to do with knowledge, a reality of that in your own heart. We need we need God to, you know, but that's why so much studying, so much YouTube videos, so much that. I, I, my concern is we create a false sense of knowing because we've listened to 15,000 sermons just this past week. <laughs> I mean, it, it, no, it, it doctors will tell you that um, you got all these like charlatans coming into the doctor's office and they've done the Google research and they know everything about this. And <laughs> But, you know, but they don't really know. They just got, they've just gained facts and they've gained information. But to really know in the Bible, knowledge is something personal. You possess it. And you don't possess it simply because you, you just, you know, you got to go after it. Psalm 56, 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know. It doesn't say, this, my pastor told me, my pastor told me that God is for me. <laughs> it's like, like, that's okay, but that ain't going to get you anywhere very quick. Because as, as soon as the pastor tells you God is for you, you have 6,000 demons telling you he's not. <laughs> and by sheer number, right, <laughs> one for the pastor, 6,000 for demons, yeah, you're probably going to lose. <laughs> right, you got you to, gotta, you gotta, this I know. God is for me. That's, that's testimony. That's knowledge. That's not just like, oh, I went to, I went to a seminary and I picked this up. <laughs> it's like, no, this is something. It's personal. It's become mine. I possess knowledge that God is for me. Amen? This is the Christian. A Christian has knowledge, possesses real knowledge. Amen? One more and then we'll call it quits. I have seven, but. We'll keep, we'll, keep, we'll, we'll keep next week. Is that any, 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 is that, this is more like a little class. It's less like trying to, you know, just trying to help us to understand, you know, just how to study the Bible, right? These things, you know, and then to understand something, a word that is so used oftentimes, but we need to, we need, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, we, we, we got, we got to understand what kind of knowledge is he, is he talking about? Second of all, second of all, very important. Not only is biblical knowledge personal, biblical knowledge is moral. All biblical knowledge, all true knowledge has a moral quality. Again, that kind of clobbers like worldly knowledge. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 
the, the knowledge of science, is it moral? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? And you could be a scientist and you have a lot of knowledge about science, but it's not, it's not this kind of, you know, that kind of knowledge has no, it's important to some degree. But it's not the kind of knowledge the Bible talks about. All biblical, all true knowledge is moral. Now the question is, what do I mean by that? Go to Genesis 2.9, Genesis 2.9. Out of the ground, the Lord God made spring up tree, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. When we talk about morality, what is good, what is evil? Morals, right? Got good morals. Moral purpose, right? What we mean by that is that they understand the difference between good and evil. They, 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 they operate on a moral principle, what's good and what's evil. Well, all knowledge, all true biblical knowledge is intensely moral. All tr- there's, it's not morally neutral. There's no such thing as true biblical knowledge that is morally neutral. Doesn't have nothing to do with good and evil. Oh, has everything. All true knowledge will hold us accountable. Does that make sense? When knowledge comes, you are held accountable. <laughs> see, see, the knowledge of the world doesn't do that. You're like, I learned science. I'm gonna do my I'm gonna do my rosary prayers. <laughs> Who does that? Nobody does that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does that. You know, like I just learned, I just know I, I, someone gave me the knowledge of the match. <sighs> I, you know, nobody it, it's knowledge is not in the in the world, knowledge is totally I, it, like morally neutral. It doesn't really matter if you know it or not. Not with biblical knowledge. All biblical knowledge holds us accountable. James 4.17. So whoever knows (laughs) the right thing to do and fails to do it, And he has true knowledge of what is right. And all knowledge is about what is good and pleasant. And if you don't do nothing with it, guess what? It's sin. You're held accountable. We're held accountable to what we know. Right? Uh, You know, it demands something from us. True knowledge never remains in the sphere of the intellect or just the mind, but it binds our will. Does that make sense? And, and that's another reason why people don't want to read the Bible. Why not? Because when the knowledge comes to you, it's going to hold you accountable. And you, you're going to know it. You're going to know that you're under. And the, I don't have to tell you that. Trust me, the Holy Spirit will make, it, make you know, I'm holding you accountable to this. And what people do is that they get uncomfortable. Forget it. 
give me some Marvel comics. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and they just abandon the Bible because, you know, because it's personal and then it's moral. So it's like, uh, you know, if you, if you got to get used to that. Yes, it's uncomfortable. I mean, now I've been saved now for 30-something years, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of gotten used to it. But it's still something that I have to remind myself. You know, I got to lay down. When I read the word, ah, okay, Lord, that hurts. I'm not doing this right. I'm sorry. We, you know, you got to get used to engaging with God and saying, Lord, you know, here I am. Don't, Adam hid. Our tendency is to hide from God. Our tendency, I don't want that kind of closeness. I, 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 I just, just leave me alone. I, I want to do my own thing, right? We, all of that have that wiring inside of us. And so we don't want to engage with God face to face. We don't want to, we want to, we, we want to, you know, we want to just kind of manage our relationship with God on our terms. But God says, no, if you're going to know me, you're going to know me, and it's going to be personal, and it's going to be moral. I'm going to hold you accountable to what you know. Well, Paul says, Lord, and if there's anything you could do, so Lord, God, give me a heart that I'm not so bothered by this. And God will give you a heart. Amen? Because at the end of the day, we have nothing. We have nothing to offer God. We just say, Lord, I am uncomfortable. I don't want to die. <laughs> I want to enjoy life. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, I want to be, I wanna be okay. You know, you know, Lord, you know, I don't want to do that. I said, but Lord, you've changed my heart so that you, I, I can do that. Because I love you more than preserving my carnal dignity. Right? And so biblical knowledge is something intensely more. Look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you didn't know. Right? If, not, if, you, didn't, if you didn't know anything, you would have no guilt. But since you say, we see, we know, guess what? I mean, it's just like, you, you know, or you do. And Jesus tells you, that truth holds you accountable. Didn't you know that? Your guilt remains because even though you know, yet you will not come to me. Right? So biblical knowledge is personal and it's moral. So if you read the Bible and you feel uncomfortable and you feel, that's okay. that means you're starting to read the Bible in the right way. If you feel, if you read the Bible and you're like, huh, and you come out of the thing, how fantastic you are all the time, <laughs> something's probably wrong. <laughs> something, something is a little off. <laughs> it's like, if you come there, oh, God, and you're not crying out, oh, God, do this in my life, Lord. I'm not pleased with this aspect of my life. Now you're beginning to get it. God is bringing us, like, like he's not playing games. He wants us to desire him. In truth, right? He's not, you know, he's not. So many people go to church and they're just content with nothing. Religious, have no real passion for God. The world's full of that. But God is after something more authentic. Amen? How many want to be more authentic? I want to be more authentic, more real, more authentic, more personal, more. Like, Lord, you do, you could, and the, the hope that we have is that he's already done the hard part. He's clobbered our sins at the cross. Amen? He's given us the Holy Spirit, amen? So now he's asking for faith. Believe me, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> right? Nothing can, nothing, you, you are not a hindrance to him. But he wants faith, like a 
same time, there's, he just wants us to believe. Just believe that he can do it. He can change my, my, my heart that doesn't like, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable. I want to do, do my own thing. I, I don't want to change this. I don't want to say I'm sorry to them. No, they, they messed me up. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's just like, it's like no, I mean, it's all, it, we, we have all of these things, right? We, we struggle. I mean, join the club. Nobody's here to say we're all struggling. But praise God that he's making us more authentic, authentic Christians. What a, what a wonder that would be, right, if we would be authentic. I mean, there's so much inauthentic. Let's be honest. So much inauthentic. <laughs> like, but in God, he can make us real. And wherever we go, people can say, whoa, that's different. I've never seen that kind of person. You know, I mean, so God can help us, man. But we got to, th- this knowledge of God is, um, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this kind of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of personal knowledge, moral knowledge. Fear of the Lord is going to be the gate, the starting point. Praise God. We'll, 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 we'll get to that in what sense is the fear of the Lord the beginning of all that. We'll talk about that. But we need the fear of the Lord. So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this um, wonderful, this time to just, I felt today was to be more like a, like a class, teach. There's so many things that our heart just wants from you. We want something real. And I pray, Father, today that um, all these things will be done for your glory. You would teach us, Lord, that we, we wouldn't understand what this knowledge is, true knowledge. And then begin to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. We're not going to enter, we're not going to engage with the knowledge of, of God, the biblical knowledge, apart from the fear of the Lord. We're not, the fear of the Lord ha- is, it has to be there. It is the fear of the Lord that will regulate that into our lives and mediate that kind of knowledge. And so, Lord, we, this is all an effort, Lord, to help us to grow in the fear of the Lord so that we might truly experience true knowledge and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thank you for this afternoon. I thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for all the time of singing. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, that uh, we can just rest in you. You have done it in Jesus, and now you invite us to come and be filled with the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, even as we dismiss, I pray that you would bless everyone as they go home and help us as a church, Lord, to walk in these truths. Lord, that we would be, even as um, Georgine was praying earlier, we would be doers of the word. Lord, that we would um, go to the Bible. Lord, I pray that this has, would encourage us to read the Bible, to maybe change our approach and, and to be more humble, come to the word of God with an open heart. God, and give us that heart if we're, if we're struggling to really open ourselves up to you. I pray you would help us to open up our hearts to the truth and that we may, Lord, be authentic and sincere before you. And so thank you for this day. Thank you for this service. Thank you for everyone that's come out today. May your blessing and grace be upon them. And Lord, bless us this evening at Good Shepherd. Lord, may you give us a really wonderful time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen.